We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Diaspora, given the opportunity to act with the equanimity and composure that they are worldwide famous for. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Blackman Twitter Inc. Gunner. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? And I ask that not just as a friend and a community member, but out of concern for your well-being. I ask you because the Arsenal community, at least the one that I engage with in a digital fashion, has absolutely lost the run of itself. Now, I am not here to judge that because I want you to know I've done some legendary tweeting through it at times. I will say it is in these moments where our Discord over on Patreon comes to the fore and shines. Um, but this was a special day. This was, I mean, we, we had the Drip Doctors Day on Twitter. We had, he's 20 until he's 21. I mean, we've had some days. We've had days of days. This was a day of days when I think it was DeMarzo. Not even a tier one source, guys. We're letting tier two rustle us now. Let us know that Declan Rice is open to joining Manchester City. They are increasingly confident of getting the deal done, and it is close. Now, I just want to be clear about something. That may not even be remotely true. Nobody knows if it's remotely true. But boy, oh boy, did it tip off a brouhaha. And it was quite a brouhaha. Now... I don't think we are here to do commentary on social media. What we are here to do, though, is talk about the Declan Rice situation from all the angles. Now, I did a podcast on Patreon yesterday where I got a lot off my chest. We also did a Jurian Timber scouting video, and it's a good one. I would recommend it. And at the beginning of that, we did 30 Minutes Clive and I just on the mechanics of the deals that are in motion and the the finance of it and who do we need and how do we rebuild the squad. So you can get over there and you can check it out or not. Up to you. Either way, glad you're here. But we're going to talk Declan Rice. We're going to talk Kai Havertz. We're probably going to talk uh, Jurian Timber. Maybe it's Jurian Timber. Maybe it's Jurian Timber. I, I don't know. And for that, I apologize. Um, get in touch. Let me know. I will say it right uh, to the extent that my linguistic capabilities allow me to. I'm excited to talk about this, though, because I, I think that there's a lot here. There's a lot in this Declan Rice saga. There's the competency of Arsenal in the transfer market. There's the quality of the player. 
There's how you approach a negotiation. What are the right ways? You know, I've heard a lot of, why are we faffing around with Havertz when we could have been getting rice? I want to, I want to interrogate that hypothesis, that, that idea that you have to do these things one at a time. There's a lot here. So let's, let's introduce the people who are going to be talking, um, potentially if I stop, we'll find out one of them is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Let's do this. <laughs> and, and now, I My like that. My new catchphrase. I like I think you've stolen it. I think you've stolen it. People I stole it from it. James Gunner blog on that rival podcast. I don't know why I think that's so funny. Uh, it's funny the dumbest things are the funniest things, but that is the funniest thing. I was afraid. Yeah. I started a new job. Mm-hmm. As as you lads know, and I was afraid that the first thing I was going to do to to my new manager was when he said, uh, "Welcome aboard. We're very excited to get you started." Paul is say, "Let's do these." Fortunately, <laughs> yeah. I didn't. You better hope that person listens to the Arscast, or you are fired. <laughs> You're also quite loud. We did a thing pre pre pod because. Uh, as part of this, Let's new, do these. As part of this new career is that, thing, is that still too loud? You're you're just way too loud. Yeah, you're just way too okay. loud. And as part of our pre our pre show check, Paul was like, "Well, let me test my level." And he talked for a bit, and then I'm like, "Try talking like a little more enthusiastically, a little more emphatically, like you went on the pod." And he's like, "Well, how mad are you going to make me?" I was like, "Probably quite mad." So he talked a little louder. He's now talking at least fifty percent louder than his loudest test volume before the pod. So go uh, figure. Let's do one last test. Yeah, let's do these. It's, per- it's perfect. I mean, I mean, okay. look, your sound is crap. We'll figure out why another time people will tolerate it because they want to hear uh, all the Declan Rice outrage. So they will, they will get through it. Meanwhile, a man whose sound is never crap because his voice could make a Wolverine per it's Clive. You can find him on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. The silky and dulcet tone sound as good as ever, my friend. Thank you for being here. Welcome. Can't wait. Okay. Let's go. Can't wait. I, I was about to break out in a song, but I, I, I thought better of it. I thought better of it because the song I was about to break into would lead to me being ridiculed. Please remember, I have two young daughters. Um, okay, so the Declan Rice situation is an interesting one, and I'm going to kind of frame this up the way I see it. First of all, there was a lot of anger yesterday. I don't know if it subsided. I haven't looked around, but I think people are frustrated. There is a sense that we could, and while I don't think it's going to happen, lose him to Manchester City. I think there was a sense that we've dithered, that we made bad bids, that we should have gotten it done before Manchester City got involved, that we shouldn't have been faffing around with Havertz. We should have just gotten the rice deal done. So just a few things. Firstly, I mean, I I still kind of think we will get this done, but setting that aside, to me, the single biggest flawed assumption being made is that there was a path to doing this where West Ham weren't going to try to get a bidding war. It is West Ham is selling their best player and captain. It is potentially going to be the richest transfer in the history of the Premier League. It is going to be potentially the most expensive midfielder ever transferred, depending on where this goes. We weren't going to sneak that past Manchester City where they didn't find out about it, right? I think West Ham were always going to, whatever bid we made, call up City and say, hey, we got a bid, we like it, we don't like it, where are you guys on this? So I don't think there was, there was a time or a bid we were going to make that keeps City out of this. I want to I want to go around this a few different directions and the first Clive is just where you think we stand with this now. I mean, we have spent a decade complaining about Manchester City's ability to buy titles, bully the league, outspend. So I I I think it is difficult for us to get too frustrated about a situation where Manchester City may be attempting to bully and outspend us if they really want to. And if they do want to, 
You know, I, I don't know too many paths around that other than hoping the player uses some player power to make it clear where he wants to go, which I still believe is Arsenal. So where do you think we stand on this right now? And what do you think the dynamics are that will ultimately lead to how it plays out? Yeah, so one of my sayings, one of my many sayings, is you win or lose games before kickoff. Uh, if Arsenal are going to go and spend this amount of money, the biggest amount of money in the history of the club, they would literally have ha- they have to basically have done this work beforehand. So if Arsenal done their prep work, which we all believe they have, given the fact they were thinking about him in January, then we we know where the players' thoughts are. Now, obviously, we have fears as fans. And when a, cl- a club that's run by a state decides to, whoever you, whoever you believe, to raise its head, then those fears kick in. And then those fears force a reaction. And that reaction is based on how you feel as an individual, where the blame lies, <laughs> if if the thing that happened where we don't get the player, where does that blame lie? Does it lie with Edu? Does it lie with the ownership? Does it lie with Arteta? Mudrick comes into the conversation. You go where you where you need to go. Right. So for me, I can I can when it comes to football, we can have a we can have a strong debate. We can, we really can. We can have a strong debate about who's going to play where, what we've seen. It's based on your view with your eyes. We may be right, we may be wrong, but it's a debate based on what we see. What we don't see and have no clue over is the negotiations that happen behind closed doors, messages that have been exchanged, promises that have happened. One thing I will say, in football, there is a certain level of elite talent. And when those elite talent become, go into the market, sorry, every elite club will call and say, what's the the situation with that elite talent that's captured your team just lifted the European trophy? That's what they will do. And if they don't do it, they're not doing their job. And And that's the truth. And if they say, well, he's open to this, he's open to that, that's just negotiation. That's just what happens in football. If Steven Gerrard was going to leave Liverpool, I guarantee you every single top club in the world would have been ringing his agent to see, are you really going to leave? And they would shape their plans to adjust for a player like that. And this, in my mind, is the modern-day Steven Gerrard, 24 years of age. Forget positioning. That's what he means in the England team, for example. 24 years of age, captain of his club, and he's about to move to a top-tier Champions League club. He's going to one or three places, really. And and we're one of them. Now, rather than worry about what could happen, just say to yourself, if this was three years ago, we wouldn't even be in a conversation. And I think no. that's nope. the key, key part of this. We would not be in the conversation. It would be Chelsea, Liverpool, City. That's it. And we would just be sitting there looking at Calvin Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, or or James Ward Prowse. That's where we used to be, right? So now we are in the room. I think Declan Rice should be looking at Calvin Phillips, by the way. But that's another. Yeah, oh, that's a great mm-hmm. shout, right? So, um, and that's where we that's where we were, but that's not where we are now. So I, I do think we. And by the way, it kept me awake last night. Those silly Demarcio tweets. I was thinking about it. So I'm not. Please don't think that I'm talking from a a moral high ground where I'm su- super cool. I want this to happen. When you want something to happen, I worry that it's not going to happen. Yeah. But I'm confident that we've done as much as we can to make it happen. If an all-state club decides to come in, pay everything up front, and give the, give the kid double what we could offer, then 
if he's on the table, but I don't think that's going to happen in this case. Yeah, I, I, I guess the thing is, the, the, the complaints or the criticisms that I've heard leveled don't make logical sense to me. One of them is, we should have bid earlier, we should have put a better bid on the table earlier. Say we put a better bid on the table earlier. Then City come in at that stage. We weren't going to sneak this deal past them. You don't move Declan Rice for a record Premier League transfer fee without the richest club that just won the treble knowing it's happening and having a chance to participate. West Ham's not going to let that happen. We'd be furious. Can you imagine if someone came in for Saka and we let it be a single club situation? I mean, people still kill us for letting that happen with Barcelona and Cesc Fabregas. That was different because he was going home. I, I just, I think any bid we would have made at any point, West Ham would have called up City and United and said, there's a bid. We're interested. Do you guys have anything better to offer? And they come in at that stage. The other thing being leveled to being penny pinchers or whatever it is. I mean, we've really reached a point where we're going to say a 90 million total compensation deal is not a fair opening bid for a player who, by the way, if you said to me, this guy's going to move for 120 million this summer, I would say to you, I am not confident that's a smart move. I like him. I think the idea that Declan Rice is clearly a 120 million pound player is people getting swept up in wanting the player and not really analyzing this clear-headedly. He's coming off a down season, by the way, at least statistically. I think he's an excellent player with a bright future. But he, but the idea that this guy's just worth saying 120 million, two installments, give him to me. He's not Mbappe. He's not Holland, right? I mean, this is not that. Now, he 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 may go on to be the greatest central midfielder to play in the league in history. But we know the biggest transfers in history tend to be coin flips. So I, I don't know. I think the, the, the idea that 90 millions derisory, I think is a bit weird. The idea that you should just go in with the winning bid. If it's the winning bid, then we'll make that bid at some point and we'll win. You, you know what I mean? If the winning bid, let's say it's 120 and we're willing to go to it, then we'll make that bid at some stage and we'll go to it and we'll get the player. So I, I think... You know, there's, there's there's a lot in that to consider, um, but but it just, I, I guess where I'm struggling is I'm struggling to see Paul how we would have done this differently where he's an Arsenal player right now because I think if we had gone earlier, City just come in earlier. If we had gone bigger, City just come in at that level. And if City wouldn't come in at that level, then we can go to that level if we want him and get him. So I, you know, what I'm trying to say, like it, it's. It is a big, big transfer. Arsenal have never been in for the biggest transfer of the summer, especially a Premier League, England international. And now we are. And I just think that we're just, or all of us collectively are going to learn that these are hard deals to pull off, right? And, um, and we're going to find out if we can do it because we're going head to head with the one club nobody gets the better of, not financially, you know? Yeah, I agree with Clive. It's kind of impressive that we actually still think we have a good shot at this. Um, I don't know. Like, if you go early with a big bid, um, you just leave yourself open to somebody else coming in with a big bid. Um, they got more money than us. They got absolute boatloads of money. So they may have a limit that they're willing to spend on this. I hope they do. Um, I hope it's lower than the limit we have. Uh you know, that's just ignoring your point of what is the guy worth. Uh, we probably have some limit, right? Let's say somehow 
let's say we value him at 100, but because he's such a key player and because he's plan A and plan C is quite a bit less exciting for us. Yeah, we'll come um, on to the to the actual how we solve it from a football standpoint in a bit. Yeah, but let's say we re- we really do have to overpay because he's so critical to our plans. Like the Havertz thing only works if you have a Declan Rice in your midfield because he's got a, you know, he gives you the coverage to allow you to Havertz at left eight or, um, you know, this is not just a player; he's our future captain. This is, you know, he's the one. He's Elu, the chosen one. Well, if that's the case and you're willing to overpay, there's some limit. Unfortunately, if City want them that bad, they can meet it and go further. But it's still mighty impressive that we feel we've a really, really good shot against City, who've, you know, you could if you're Declan Rice, you're going to the team that won five of the last Premier League titles in the last six seasons. So you basically guaranteed, guaranteed um, three, four Premier League titles in your future. You're uh, guaranteed the best shot at a Champions League of any team on the planet for the next two, three, four seasons. Um, and here we are, and like... Look, I've lost my mind with a few other people over the last week or so. Uh, some people have pointed out to me my inconsistencies in my rating of the situation and where we stand, and I think that's very low of I the I was Melian. tempted to bring that up, uh, but, but yeah. I haven't yet, so I'm glad you referenced it because now I've taken the high road. <laughs> yes, and like I'm under a lot of pressure at the moment, Dale. You know, I started a new job. They're doing things in the market with Declan Rice, who I had basically etched into my starting lineup, and I've had a lot of instant reaction type emotional moments. So you're saying you've hung your Declan Rice home shirt next to your Danny Ceballos home shirt? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> if it makes yes, you feel better, my friend Tim has a Marilyn Schmack shirt, so don't worry about it. Okay. Um, I'm not sure it does make me feel any better. No oh, and by the way, we know what diaspora means. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Don't that's think we I, don't. That's why I used it. Yeah. Uh, Just sorry. wait till I get started on our parsimony in a minute. Uh, delicious. Delicious sliced up and roasted with a little melted butter. <laughs> I think that's parsimony. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, parsnips, maybe. Um, yeah, parsnips look. Uh, yeah. Declan Rice. Uh, look, who knows? But he's got a very clear vision of how. We want to use him in a team that's exciting on the up. He'd be a, a keystone, a cornerstone, any kind of stone you like in our midfield. He can pick the kind of stone he wants to be. At City, it's a little bit more, well, we got this Rodri fella, but we've ideas for how to use you. Um, like there is a, a beautiful clarity about how he would play for us and where anywhere you like Declan and yeah. Well, you, you mentioned a lot of stones. The other stone he could be at that price is a millstone just worth considering. I had to throw it in there. I'm sorry. Um, Or a bladder stone or a gallstone. One of those stones that that really hurts on the way out that you have to pass. And we'll talk about his passing later. Um, the, (laughs) I mean, the other thing is a lot of people are like, Oh, city. We're waiting to see what happened with Gundogan. I struggle to see Declan Rice as the Gundogan replacement. Like, I think that is just a really, really weird analysis of how they play and what their qualities are. But that's, you know, some people who are smarter about football than I am, which is a large subsection of people, have said that. Clive, 
well, let, let's, so one thing that I, I want to just quickly address is the suggestion that we shouldn't have been focusing on Kai Havertz. We should have been focusing on Declan Rice. And I think this is, this is not the kind of work where you can only do one at a time. We, we submitted bids for Rice, Havertz, and Timber. You know how hard that is? It takes a phone call. It takes an email. It's not, it's not that hard. You can do all the things collectively. And clearly, when we submitted a 90 million bid for Rice while submitting a 65 or 60 million, whatever it is, bid for Havertz, there is no suggestion that I can tell that the Havertz deal is in any way an obstacle to the Rice deal. I think what people are frustrated about is they really want Rice and people aren't sure they really want Havertz. And so they're using us eagerly pursuing a player they're less excited about as a reason to be mad about us not being in the pole position to get the other guy. But I think we can do both at the same time. And I, I don't think that one has a bearing on the other. Clive, I guess the question is, in terms of value, I, I see this two ways. One is, I'm not convinced Declan Rice is a guy you just go to any price for like literally any price, which seems to be, to some extent, an argument that's being made. But I also acknowledge this. Central midfield is the most important thing we do this summer. The manager himself said, this is a big summer for us. We have to get this summer right. He said it. It's a challenge to the people that manage the summer. He said, we have to get it right. We cannot miss. That's paraphrasing, but you get the idea. And central midfield is chief among those concerns, especially if Shaka goes and maybe Party goes. I would say if you don't get Rice, you have to get Caicedo, but it doesn't look like we're going to get Caicedo, so you have to get Rice because I'm not sure what you do if those don't come off. So while I am willing to defend the difficulty of executing on this deal, I don't know where we go if we don't get it done. So it, what's your take on the actual value of the player and what on earth we might do if it were to be the case that we couldn't get the player? It's really funny listening to you set that question up. I'm not sure what the question was, but set the question up. Because what rumors do is they drive us into a tunnel that makes us think yeah. he's the only player available. Mm. And now, if we don't get him, what are we going to do? And now, are we overpaying? It's just, we, we, I don't, we just, we just got to chill, man. We just got to, we just got to relax a little bit. Six months ago, I, there were rumors of Declan Rice moving for 80 million plus maybe a bit of change. And he's had a successful to end tools this season. So suddenly that price has gone to 120, which basically means they want, they want 100. And I'll sort of working up towards that number. Probably the previously agreed that 80, 85 was probably, I'm, I'm generalizing here, 80, 85 felt a little bit more reasonable to me. Um, 90 plus 10 feels a little bit heavy, but. In the end, it's called negotiation, and West Ham are quite in their rights to ask for a ridiculous 120, right? <laughs> to get the extra 20 mil they want. Now, I would say, if you're going to do that in a public way, all you're doing is trying to rip money out of Arsenal's pocket. You can end up giving it back to somebody else because when you go to buy players, everyone knows exactly what you just brought in, they, everyone knows exactly what your payment terms are, and you're going to have to pay that money out to somebody when you really want a player. And so that's just my view looking from the outside. I'm not too sure. They may have some deals already, already done in the background. We don't, we don't know enough. And that's what I keep trying to say. It's hard because I've got the popular 
aggregators and the popular people that talk about these transfers, I've got on my notifications and I'm scrolling away like everybody else is. I'm trying to stay cool. I'm trying to stay cool about it because just the fact that we have a plan and that plan, even since last time me and Paul spoke together because he missed last week because he started his new job, that plan has changed. And then you think, you talk about nailing it, but when we were talking towards the end of the season, we weren't thinking that both Party and Shaka could go. As we sit here today, Party's been offered two hundred million over two years, tax free. The things are literally changing from Saudi Arabia. Literally, things are changing by the second. I'm not sure that was part of the plan in in April May, and so the plan is changing. It's got to be. It's got to be fluid. It's got to evolve. But I think Declan Rice has been part of the plan. And consistently, that's why he's been number one target. And I think what he, what he represents, it's not about, as a player, I think he's a really good player. But football is not just about what you do on the pitch. It's how you impact dressing rooms. We've seen that this year. And what sort of person you are. And it's just, there's far more to it to bring us forward. And what, what I will say Elliot, is um, watching Man City have just achieved everything in life. They've literally just achieved it. And when you have those big moments of achievement, the hardest thing ever is to follow up. Look at Manchester City's team. They're two, three years older than us on average age. There's a few players there, just at peak, over peak maybe, that have just achieved everything in life. You know, this is the time for yep. us to step to step in with our 24-year-olds, 25-year-olds, average age 25 and, and change, and they've got two to three years before they get to the Man City 28, 29-year-old average age. And you're sitting there, if you're Declan Rice, I'm on their timeline. I'm on the same timeline as Sacco, White, Ramsdale. You know, we can go through the list, right? I'm on the same timeline. We're going to grow together. And I've got a role where I can br- help bring this team forward. And they can help bring me forward and prove me as a football player. If you're a footballer, you have to look at everything. Not just... Everyone's worried about City. I'm not. If he chooses to go there, he's not the person I think he is. That's number one. So I'm really cool with it. I wouldn't criticise him, but he's just not the person I think he is. I think he's smart. I think he's sort of through. I think he wants to develop his football in a place where he wants to play and he knows where he's going to play. He knows how he's going to play. He knows who he's going to play with. You know, And that's obvious to me that's been sold to him. And that's why he keeps saying to people, I want to stay in London. And so... I, I do think I just got to have faith in what I've read, and you might think I'm reading the stuff I I, I remember the stuff I want to remember because I'm quite positive about it. But if it doesn't work out, I'm, just take the fear away. Take the fear away. We have no control over it, and and for me that's that's where I am with it. Take the fear away yeah. and try to enjoy it. And I and I fell for it yesterday as well. By the way, I got myself all in a twist about it. May not have tweeted it, but I got in a twist about it, and it bothered me. Oh, I, I thought it's this, isn't, this isn't going to happen again, is it? So I'm not saying you know, but I, I'm I'm back on my feet today, and I think we're going to be all right. Yeah. We're going to be all right. Yeah, I I think it is worth remembering because I've seen a lot of we're so bad at this, we stink, sack everybody, you know, sack a do sack the boy. And look, <clears throat> it's not good policy to react to the most hysterical things you see on social media. But I think. You know, I had someone sort of say to me, like, oh, you used to get outraged, you used to get angry, what happened, you know, where's your anger? And it's like, well, here's the thing. We used to be eighth. <laughs> you know, when we were eighth and we we're signing William, when we we're signing Cedric, when we we're signing Pablo Marie, 
when we were signing Runnerson, yeah, I had a lot of reason to get angry. I got into, I got into a tizzy about it because I thought we were poorly run and making bad decisions. He stopped there. I've started to feel sick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's nauseating, right? Like, But we went from eighth to fifth to second in three seasons, eighth, fifth, second. In two summer transfer windows, we replaced nine players in the squad and achieved our second most ever Premier League points and our most goals in 10 years. It just doesn't support a conclusion that we're bad at this right now. No one hits on nine players at the level we did. We missed a little on Samby for sure. Vieira is still an open question. But even Kivior, where people are like, what was that all about? Now we see a plan there. We've hit on all these players at a level that most clubs, I mean, most transfers are 50-50. And they're coming up heads every time for us. And we've gone from eighth to fifth to second. So it's just like, the reason I'm not more angry is because I think we've had just had the most fun season we've had literally since our invincible season 20 years ago. And I, I think we've done a really good job getting there. If we screw it all up this summer, then there's going to be plenty of anger at that moment. But this is the whole point about benefit of the doubt, right? When your track record is doing a lot of really stupid, shitty stuff, then you don't have benefit of the doubt. Right now, the track record looks pretty good over the last few seasons and summers and windows. Now, people have raised the point, Paul, that, well, we've never gotten the main target, the big crown jewel target. Well, if you look at the biggest clubs in the world, financially, it's United, City, Barca, Madrid, Bayern, PSG. And maybe you throw Chelsea in there just because financially they can just, if they want, they can blow anybody out of the water because they're untethered. Yeah, I, I don't think we can go head to head with any of those to go head to head with any of those clubs on a pure financial basis. Now, there are people that would say to that, we have a billionaire owner too. Why are we crying poor? I, look, I get that. Theoretically, Stan could go toe to toe. He is as rich as any of those people, bar probably like PSG and City. It just so happens we're toe to toe with City right now. But but Paul, that's the thing. Like people are rightly saying, well, we've never gotten our our A1 first target when another big club was in for him. And I agree to that. But I guess what I would point to is when in our history have we ever done that? Really? I mean, Saul Campbell, I guess sort of, but it was on a free or whatever. Like what 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 is your reaction to the idea that maybe we still haven't figured out how to go get our first, you know, we didn't get Mudrick. Granted, that was a bullet dodged. But there have been other instances where we've we've had a first, you know, whether it was Rafinha or whoever it was, and we didn't get them toe-to-toe with, with other big clubs. Is that the next step in your mind to, to be able to get that tier one player toe-to-toe with another big club like this situation? How, how do you evaluate that aspect of what we're trying to pull off? Um, I think that sounds like a very dangerous business model <laughs> yeah, to <I> be <laughs> for Arsenal. I mean, I don't know why you got into supporting Arsenal. Whoever you are out there listening to it, thinking we should be in for the Mbappes, but it wasn't my experience of of joining the supporters of of our fine and and noble club. I mean, there's there's rare. There's only ever one or two or three clubs, you know, in in the eighties, nineties, it was, you know, your your Milan's, your uh Barces, your Real Madrids, well certainly your Real Madrids, your Milan's, and they they just operated in a different world with these splash signings. And like in a way, Declan Rice still isn't quite one of those signings. 
He's a much more functional, uh, though potentially just as important to your team kind of guy. Um, and that's where we are in terms of our evolution. And I'm, I'm great with it, but like, I just don't think that if you're looking for Arsenal to be the club that goes out and buys the most expensive player in the world head-to-head with other uh, teams who are in that mode, I mean, I just think you're probably not at the right club for you, Mr. Supporter. Not, Can I add one not other that thing I would tell that? Yeah. My, the one other thing I'll add to that is also if the club make that their transfer strategy, you're going to lose more than you're going to win, and it's going to make it very hard for you to build a squad, right? If if your summer yep. plans always hinge on getting your 1A target up against the cities and PSGs and Barces and Uniteds of the world, a lot of time, even if you pull it off once, you're not going to pull it off multiple times, and then you're going to be stuck saying, what do we do now, you know? Yeah, and like we had the best player in the world at one point, depending on who you want to call that and which one you want to pick, but you could go with Thierry Henry. And he was not the most expensive signing in the world that everybody was chasing. Um, it's ironic, really, looking at a Havertz that so many people turn their nose up at that player. But, I mean, in many ways, he was the Thierry Henry type of signing or the Dennis Bergkamp type of you signing. just where, so many enemies by, by invoking those yeah, two names. I know. <laughs> but if, if we had had a podcast back in the day, when those guys were signed, we would out of would have had people saying, "Who are these bozos?" Or not, not Bergkamp, Henri, maybe a little bit. Well, we would have had people saying, "Why so much for a guy who had a who was yeah. so hyped up but had such a bad recent couple of seasons?" Oh, that yeah. that rings a bell. That yeah. sounds a lot like Mr. Havertz. Now, the we haven't seen the outcome of what happens. He could suck, right? He could be quite good, but not great. But, like, we didn't go and buy uh, Dennis Bergkamp at his peak with everybody else going against us. We certainly spent a lot of money for Arsenal. He was certainly a very exciting signing. Who, But it was very much the, oh, everybody said he was going to be a worldie, but he really hasn't been in the last couple of seasons. And like we ended up with two of the world's best players. And we did it by at that time being smart and maybe a little bit lucky. And that may be what we just did with the Havertz. You don't know. But we're not gonna go out and buy Mbappe. Not at this point. And um I think expectations that we're gonna operate in a way like it's great that Stan's really, 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 really rich, but Arsenal isn't. Arsenal's quite wealthy, mm. uh, works within a certain zone, and I don't really want a club that's effectively acting like an oil state. I, I don't know what floats everybody else's boat. It's not that I don't want to go for big players. and like If we earn our way to the point where we're able to operate in a certain range, that's that's wonderful, but like just... I don't want the fact that Stan knows somebody who has even more money and they'll give it to him and then they give it to like is that is that really what we're doing? Well, but like the funny thing is it it almost doesn't matter because that's what Todd Bowley's done and they went from second to twelfth. So like it, it is it's funny, wages tend to over time be a pretty good predictor of the Premier League table. Like they just are over time. Yeah. Transfer fees aren't always a good predictor. 
because you can make really, really bad choices. I mean, when I look at how Liverpool built what I regard as one of the most impressively assembled squad projects of modern football in terms of just getting it so right at such a level, they mostly did it in that 40 million-ish pound, 30 million-ish pound range. The funny thing is like when they stepped up, their biggest transfer of all time, by the way, richest is Darwin Nunez. Jury's still out, I think you'd say. But when it was time for them to finish their project, so to speak, when it was time to get the piece that would that would win it all for them, they went to 75 million for Virgil van Dyke, right? And so maybe this is that, right? Maybe it's time for us to step up and get that piece that we don't see another option to get it. And I'm all in for that. I think it's just the idea that you know a, a 90 million bid is derisory for this player just rubs me up the wrong way, I'd say. But Clive, that that's the thing, right? I mean, first of all, we are spending a fortune. I mean, if we buy Havertz and even it let's we're clearly willing to spend 90. So let's stop there. If we buy Havertz and 90, that alone, they immediately two of our most expensive signings in history in the same summer with another bid having been made in the 30 million range for another player. So there's no lack of spending going on here. What do you think about that idea though that like it's going to take that one big jewel in the crown to to get us over the line here and this is the guy. I think we added some clutch into the group, you know, some proper people that can that can deliver in big moments, but what I will say is and I'm, I'm I think we're all getting het up around numbers and around people, and then around how we negotiate, again, percep- perception, how we negotiate. Um, we get head up about these things. But I think we're, we're potentially missing something that I think we'd all agree with. These lev- this level of player is forcing other players to leave or be unsettled. So if Havertz come, whether you know where he's going to play or not, whether it's going to be false nine or in midfield, what does that mean for Eddie Nketiah, for example? Now, Granit Xhaka has obviously decided to move on. When Rice comes, what does that mean for, for Thomas Party? What, what does that mean? It means that, actually, mate, you better start looking out the door. You know, you, you better, someone who's been very, very good for us. Sorry, we're, we're going again. And I think, what does this mean if we go for Julian Timber? What does that mean for, say, for, say a Rob Holding? And all the things... Tomiyasu, even. Yeah. Tomiyasu. What does this mean? i tell you what it means, and we're forgetting this. It means our manager is absolutely ruthless on improving our levels and standards. The quality of player we're talking about is really high. Either high now or high potential. On top of a team which is already the second youngest in the league and finished second by a clear margin. We are becoming so worried about the execution, we're missing the approach and we're missing that we're doing exactly what we all secretly hope for. And when it, if, it, if it does get executed, hey, it was hard enough getting tickets last year. I don't know what it's going to be like this year because the level of the team is hmm. going to be incredible. The potential, the physical potential, the technical potential, the growth potential, Every one of these players is going to be going to be able to grow again and get better and do it all together. I mean, we're, I don't want us to miss the po- the positive positions that we're in based on the fear that we all feel about it not happening. 
No, we should be realizing the steps we've made and the steps we are trying to make. And what where I get a frustration, I have the same frustration. Come on, West Ham, just let us have him. You know, let us have him. Southampton, why are you asking for 50 million for, for a kid? That frustration is manifesting because I know that we're close and what the players that we're going for, I like them. I can see how they fit. And we want I it like, so bad. I, I we all want it so bad and we're close. We're close. But we can't let that feeling of fear eat ourselves. You see what I mean? And then we lose the mm. thing we ended the season with, which was we talk about unity and connection and all those things. They've gone, mate. We just want a player in. So we, <laughs> we'll go back to that when the Emirates Cup pops around. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we, I'm trying to hold on to the step forward that we've taken and particularly tactically and football-wise, when you start to think about these players, I mean, it is so... The optionality, it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. It's I can barely keep my head down thinking about it, you know. So I, I just want to say that earlier. I think we I don't want us to miss the the change in where we are, changing our perception, the changing how we're viewed by other players. By we take a twenty four year old from Chelsea, not a thirty two year old David Louise, a twenty four year old no. from Chelsea. That's a big change. You know, and we gotta we gotta recognize yeah. that. And he yeah. only wanted to come to us, you would say. Yeah, it sure seems like it. Look, uh, we'll go into the I want to talk Havertz and Timber uh, in a second here. To wrap up the rice section, I think what I would say is that I I weirdly still think we will do this. The the city bid has a sort of stalking horse feel to it. Maybe they want to get us to spend a little more, maybe they want to slow us down a little bit. I'm not convinced. They want Rice. If I remember correctly, they did a little bit of something similar with Kane last summer. Got United to pivot away from Kane. And then they were like, oh no, we're just going to get Holland. They're they're clever. And, you know, their intentions are hard to divine. It's not that I don't think they're interested in the player. I'm just not convinced they can get it done because I think the player wants to come to us. And let's be clear. Unless the player really wants to come to Arsenal, there's no way we're going to beat City to this transfer if they want him. And this is the point. You, you got you to gotta steal yourself for this. If City want Rice and Rice is willing to go to City, City will get Declan Rice. That's it. That's all there is to it. Because they'll go to whatever number it takes. If we put 120 on the table in four installments, they'll put 125 in two. If we put 130 on the table in two, they'll go to 140 in one. They'll do what they have to do to get him if they really want him. And then inevitably someone will say, oh, for 5 million pounds, we lost Declan Rice. Well, it's not 5 million. It's the 140 million. And it's the fact that City might have come over the top again. I I believe, the funny thing is I weirdly, I still believe we're going to get Rice. And I think the factor that's going to matter is that Rice wants to come to Arsenal. But it depends how aggressive City are willing to get. If they're willing to give him Holland money and willing to give West Ham Coutinho money, then we're not going to get him. It's all about the prep, mate. It's all about the prep, the stuff you do before the game. did the work. He seems to really yeah. want us. That that I mean, if you if you're gonna trust rumors, that's a rumor I think you have to trust as well. That's pretty well cited. So this is this is gonna be a, a difficult one to execute. I think it's also worth saying any expectation that we were going to sign the most what potentially the most expensive signing in Premier League history easily, and it was gonna be a one one club process. I think was probably a little naive. Granted, I was in that space. I always penciling them in the lineups. Clive? If it's easy, there's something wrong. You know, honestly, <laughs> when you yeah. overpay for somebody and you just, when no one else was fighting us Nicholas Pepe, was they? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Think about that. It was an easy one. <laughs> yeah, it's an easy one. 
no one was willing to pay 105 million for Enzo Fernandez. It's just it's done really quickly, wasn't it? When you've got Anthony. a good player, <laughs> an elite player, and an elite player at, at a good age, that's a known quantity, potentially the next England captain, and is going to be in your team for potentially eight years, then, Pete. It's not going to be easy. <laughs> yeah. Life doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. And I'll, I'll say this for people who are like, are you going to criticize anything about this? Here's what I'll criticize. Here, here's, here's your window of opportunity for that. I can't criticize the club for not having Declan Rice all wrapped up and done at the price he's going to cost, at the profile that he is. I just can't. But if they don't get an elite central midfielder, there's going to be some criticism. Because Mikel Arteta is owed that player, and we need that player. And I don't, you know, you say it's not a shoot. Arsene Wenger, famously, it's not a supermarket. But it's hard and you still have to do it. You can't just buy Petr Cech and not buy an outfield player because it's hard, right? You have to buy an elite midfielder somewhere that can come in and give you what you need in that position. So I believe it'll be Declan Rice and I hope it'll be Declan Rice. I would certainly have taken Caicedo. I might have even taken him over Declan Rice. But it's got to be someone at that tier of talent and capability. Paul, final thought on this? Yeah. Um, like, you brought up one of the things you hear a lot out there, which is, no, the real issue was we don't want to change our payment structure and the speed at which we pay them and the installments and stuff, and that's why we're not getting... I'm like, I don't buy that stuff. I I think they can organize their finances over at KSE and Arsenal to move money around and like the liability is the liability. The amortization is the thing you have to worry about in terms of FFP. As far as I understand, I'm no accountant. Um, like it won't be the payment structure that stops us getting Declan Rice. They'll move stuff like there's the payment structure we'd like, but that's kind of moving your furniture around. It won't be that kind of stuff. Like all that overthinking how the deals, you know, if only we do this, like, it's it's pretty straightforward here. It's us against City. It's the clarity of our project versus the clarity of their project. Uh, it's Rice looking at how will he fit into that environment, what will show off his talents, what will give him the best platform, not just the titles and stuff. If he wants the titles, it's obvious where he should go if City bid. But if he wants the platform to fulfill his career, you know, they got a Rodri, they got other players in their team, He's he's got a different proposition over there. The beauty of Arsenal, um, in the same way we can close our eyes and you could listen to the commentary of an Arsenal game on the radio and picture where everybody is and how they're playing and the pass from Odegaard to Saka and white overlapping as that's described to you. And you know exactly what's going on the pitch. And I think one of the beautiful things about Arsenal at the moment is I personally, uh, I mean, some people out there seem to lose their minds and not understand what the hell we're talking about when we're in the market for transfers. But I find it really easy to picture where the manager is going to use the players on the pitch over the next season. Even with somebody as confusing as, as Havertz seems to be to some people, I think it's pretty straightforward how he wants to use him. Um, Rice can look at how we play and how we're evolving, and know exactly, I think, the ways, the way or ways in which he will be used, how he'll primarily be used, how he'll be used occasionally. There's a real clarity about how we set up. And 
I think that's very, very appealing, not just to Rice, but to every player coming in. They understand this is not a, a, a kind of a cluster, a chaos, uh, managers coming and going. We're a really, really interesting, exciting project for players. And I think that's why we're in the frame with City and maybe in some ways preferable, despite the fact that they got bags of money and they win everything. Like I genuinely, genuinely think we've a really, really good shot at this, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have a really good shot. I, I think Clive made this point right at the beginning that Arsenal are in the conversation to make one of the biggest transfers in the history of the league with one of the highest profile players in England international is not a position we've ever been in. I mean, scan through your mind, name another transfer like this we've ever done ever. I mean, I, obviously, my my knowledge goes back to early two thousands, late nineties. So we we need Tim on the pod to tell us the one we, well, we had got to over steal. The line in we had to steal Sol Campbell. Basically, we had yeah. to steal yeah. him for free. We could have done that otherwise. Yeah. It would have been too big for us right. at that time. So right. So yeah, yeah. <clears throat> a little bit different. Um, you know, I, I I think there's a lot more you could say on this, and and I I just want to be careful about one thing. I don't want to try to be a gatekeeper of emotion or reaction. This is a very exciting player that would be coming, and if your reaction to the way the news is progressing is to be really upset, hurt, worried, angry, like the reaction is totally personal and understandable. It's not the reaction that I think is the problem. Like emotionally, I went through all the emotions yesterday. I went through all the stages of grief, right? All the anger, coping, rationalizing, all that stuff. I think it's when you sit down to really think intellectually about it, about how we could act differently, how we can improve on what we've done, how we can make sure we get this over the line, who we're going head-to-head with, and what the realistic possibilities are. That's where I think you have to apply a logic a little bit. And we're going to add to that logic the Kai Havertz situation here in a moment. But one thing that is logical is that you protect your eyes from the harmful rays of the sun. Now, you can protect your eyes from the harmful rays of the sun by just closing your eyes. You could drive with your eyes closed. You could walk with your eyes closed. You go to the beach with your eyes closed. I think that's probably not the safest choice, so I wouldn't recommend it. An alternative is to wear sunglasses. And if you're going to wear sunglasses, why not wear the iconic brand Oakley? I am pretty proud that we have this brand associated with our podcast because I think what first and foremost I have found about Oakleys is that they are high quality. Um, And I've had a lot of sunglasses where... The, the parts that go over your ear, like the hinge gets loose or the screw falls out or the a lens pops out or they bend, you know, and that can happen. Oakley are probably the highest quality construction you will get in a sunglass. Not to mention that they have a lot of unique styles. I wear the HSTNs, which are kind of unique. I like them. I think they're fun. But it's the point that like so many sunglass styles are just copies of other styles to the point where you see someone wearing a sunglass. I don't know what sunglass that is. You know Oakley's when you see them. Killian Mbappe wears Oakley, so it is incumbent upon me to say that uh, if enough of us wear Oakleys, maybe that'll encourage Killian Mbappe to come to Arsenal. So you might want to do that for the sake of the club. Uh, they also have Prism Technology. It has been really, um, it's it it's been really bad air quality here lately, and as a result, there's a lot of glare, like just the way the sun is shining through the the um, smoke from the forest fires has just created a lot of glare. 
the prism technology is some of the best I've used in terms of actually filtering out the harmful uh, rays of the sun in terms of being able to see clearly, especially when I'm driving. So a lot of good things. You can learn more about prism technology at oakley.com. And while you're there, you can pick up some Oakleys. So do it. Head over to oakley.com. Learn more about their great quality, their beautiful designs, their all-day wear, and pick up some Oakley sunglasses today. Do it now, oakley.com. Now, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp isn't online therapy. BetterHelp is therapy. It is therapy. And that, I think, is just one of those things that, for whatever reason, at some point in time, got stigmatized and people didn't do it. And there's a lot of reasons you don't do it, too, right? It may not just be the stigma. Maybe I don't know how to find a therapist. I don't want to get in the car and drive to therapy. Like, I want to do it, but I don't know if I have the the 20 minutes to drive there and then the time to spend in the session, then 20 minutes to drive back. What if you could do it from wherever you are, via the internet, with a camera off if you don't feel comfortable, right? If there's um, if you're a little shy, right? You could do a camera on as well. What if you needed a specialist in a certain area? BetterHelp gives you access to all of that. And if you are feeling like you're struggling with something, it's not that you shouldn't talk to your partner, your spouse, your, your family, your friends, but they are not, it is not their job and they are not trained to help you work through those things so you can be a, a happier, more productive, um, healthier person. In the same way that you would go to a personal trainer for workouts, right? Or you'd go to a medical doctor for medical treatment. That's why you go to a therapist to work on this part of who you are. So you can do that now and, and save some money trying it out, okay? Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Do it now. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Got it. Okay. Clive, Kai Havertz, uh, so the interesting thing is to the people that think you can't, we can't do these two things at once, we are clearly doing these two things at once. We have tabled a 90 million pound-ish bid for Rice. We have clearly gone all the way up to 65 million on Havertz. I find myself torn on the fee because in my mind, the fee is too rich. And this is the funny thing, right? I can't accuse the club of penny pinching on Rice if I think they might be overspending on Havertz. They're spending a lot of money in total this summer any way you slice it. While I don't think we're getting the discount on Havertz, we probably should, there aren't a lot of 24-year-olds with his talent level on the market, period. There just aren't. And in we, we did a scouting video. We looked at him. We've seen the data, his underlying metrics, the way he pops on video, talent-wise, technical level, in terms of what he can do in the final third, he's got it all, I think. I think it's a really savvy addition. Um, this, this, to me, fee aside, this, to me, feels like when we got Alexis, you know? Hadn't quite worked for him at Barca, had it. But he had come out of Italy as a hugely hyped and impressive player. And it, it, to be fair, it had worked for him at Barca a little better than it has for Havertz at Chelsea. But, you know, we already mentioned Thierry Henry and the way we got him. I don't want to invoke legendary names because I'm not saying he's going to come in and be a legend, but I think he has the talent to do it. I really like the move, as this one seems like it is impending and probably our first signing of the summer that would be announced. Where are you at in terms of what we're paying for this player and the the associated talent that he that he brings with him? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to how we how we play and the clarity by which we play, which Paul spoke to earlier. And whether you play in a, in a nine or an eight, it's very similar requirement because um, we play a front, we play a five plus five, don't we? A front five, we zigzag on the front line. We have two dropping in. Some to take your choice. Sometimes someone goes beyond. So Jesus drops or. Odegaard drops. Now you've got someone else who can drop in, turn around, receive it. His, his ability to receive the ball back to goal is is class. Again, when you start to dig into the details, 
His ability to run off the ball, run into the box. I mean, there's some good data out there on that. He's right up there with some of the best. And you start thinking, oh my goodness, this is this is how we play. We drop in on first phase, we pop the ball around, we go out wide, we crash the box, or we, particularly from Odegaard's side, when he clips it to the back post. And this guy is just made for that. He's just, just made for it. Whether he's starting centre forward or eight, it doesn't really matter. What I don't know, you know people say, oh, he's... Pressing skills are great because FB Ref told them. I haven't got those clips in my head. I haven't got that information in my head to be to see how he is off the ball defensively in our four four two block. Would he be in one of the double six positions or would he be in the front two? Would we drop Odegaard in? There are things that are gonna happen when we are in our four four two shape off the ball. But apart from that aside, if this conversation came up a year ago, I would be saying to myself, hmm, interesting, where are we gonna play him? Now I can say, oh, not only am I not, I'm clearer where we're going to play him, but I know how we play. And I know that position, particularly left-hand side, needs a level of back-to-goal play, and that is his ultimate skill. He's very good at that. He's got so, he's so intelligent how he moves. The potential's there, and I think he's one of those things, one of those players there that, that we see the value that maybe other people don't. I'm just reading that uh, Tonali is going to Newcastle for 70 million euros. No one's really competing for it. But Newcastle must have a plan for him. So you have those mm-hmm. players that other teams may not see. You have a plan for, you have to pay. Then you have your Declan Rices that everyone can see. <laughs> we have to compete for him because he's just good. You know, everyone knows what he is. And I think this is a value proposition for us. But I'm on the positive side because I've seen us for a year. And particularly that left eight position, I've had many conversations with you guys and with with other people who we both sort of respect. I think that position is such an interesting one. And I don't underestimate how well Granite Xhaka did to make that work. But I'm interested in the development of that role because I think the team's ceiling is in that number eight shirt. I think if we get that to a higher place, I think there's more in this group. That's number one. Okay, defensively, we need to concede 10 less goals. Let's not mess about. Mm-hmm. So will my want for more offensive quality in that position take away from our defensive stability? However, potentially we are adding a number six who is defined by defense. So you might lose a bit of defense in the eight, but gain something in the six and end up in a place that could be better overall with two people who are 24 years of age. So you are future-proof for half a decade. And I think it's such an interesting Mm. move that none of us could have predicted. And I find the thought process behind it incredibly interesting tactically. Can't wait. If it all works out, I can't wait to see what it all looks like on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. I I, Look, I really like the player, but Paul, that is not consensus. There may be people that do like the player, uh, and there may be a lot of them. I'm, you know, I'm not not saying people don't, but it's certainly not consensus. So, do you, do you have a sense of where the disagreement is is coming from? Like, what's can you make the bear case for me? I mean, I know he yeah. didn't he didn't really shine at Chelsea, and I know he wore the Chelsea blue, which I've been the first to say rubs me the wrong way. I mean, I didn't want Mount. And most people would say Mount's the better player than Havertz. We've clearly opted to push harder for Havertz and Mount. And maybe it is the case that's because we felt we couldn't keep Mount from United. So we had to go get Havertz. And it looks like Mount's going to be cheaper. So 
it's interesting. Now, the weird thing is I think Mount is older than Havertz, which is like, that's not how my brain processes it. Um, what's yeah. your, what's your sort of thought on the bear case and why people maybe aren't warming up to this move? Yeah. I, I never got this. Don't buy from Chelsea thing. Uh, and I know a well, lot of people feel that way. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's because we bought sucky players. Don't buy sucky players from anybody. If you think they're sucky. Yeah. Like, Buy good players. <laughs> That'd be the way I go. Man United weren't fussy that could, that where they could work as a policy, by the way. We should we should maybe just send that out as a memo to the club. Yeah. And the same people well, I, I actually I hate people to say the same people. I've no idea if they're the same people, but I'm gonna go with it anyway. And the same people who said don't buy players from Chelsea said, How come we only buy the old ones who are crap now? Why don't we buy the young ones who are on the up? We never do that. And like, this guy's a young one. Is he on the up? Actually, I think so. Um, but I, I understand that opinions may differ. But why would opinions differ? Because he was a very talented player. Anybody associated with him, any of his coaches say he's really, really talented. Just top level. We He has played at times, certainly at Bayer Leverkusen, he was on track to be a worldy potential. He's had his times at Chelsea where he's looked the business, particularly early on. And then he's like, we spend our time laughing at how dysfunctional Chelsea are. But we then turn around and say, but he hasn't had a good season. In fact, he's looked rather poor when they've basically said, we need to stick somebody up front who can adapt to this position because we don't actually have an actual striker who can do the business. Havertz, you can do almost everything. You go up there. We'll give you a crap support. We won't, we won't build play. We won't create opportunities. Uh, it's all on you, boy. Um, and he does that, and he does it manfully to the best of his ability. And guess what? He doesn't have a great season. Uh, but then he's playing in a team that we're literally laughing at how bad they are, and they're disasters. Can we continue of, to do that, by the way? Just real quick. Just yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Why not both? Um, but like, here's a, the beauty of a Havertz signing. Like, this is the fun of football, is what is he? Now, I have a very strong feeling that he's going to be absolutely fecking fantastic. He's going to hit the ground running. He's going to love it. We're going to love him. And it's going to be brilliant, guys. Brilliant. We're going to wonder. The world's going to look at it and say, "Oh, we're, we're going to get tired of winning." That? Is that what you're saying? Are you trying to say we're, we're, we're much, so much yeah. so much winning? We're going to get tired of winning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you end up with a, wo- a worldy like uh, Thierry Henry was going through a tough time? I sorry to go back to these guys, but like this is how you end up with a worldy without having to, still. Pay, they were big fees at the time. Thierry Henry was a big fee at the time. Dennis Bergkamp was a big fee at the time. People knew they were talented, but like things hadn't gone to plan for them. That's what this is. Now, what's the outcome? Who knows? Uh, I'm attached to thinking this is actually going to work really well, but this is how Arsenal gets a player that turns out to be a bit of like Martin Odegaard. Like, he was doing pretty well at Real Sociedad, but it was Real Sociedad, and mm. he hadn't, he just had not got on the radar for Real Madrid, uh, 
didn't figure, didn't factor. They'd bring him back every summer for his pre-seasons. Um, and like people had written him off. And it's all about, it's not even talent identification. It's context identification. Taking somebody whose situation makes him look off the boil, still spending quite a bit of money. People uh, quibbled over whether we'd overpaid for Odegaard. And, and the beauty for Arsenal, not just can we picture how he will play, everybody within our footballing organization yeah. can picture how Havertz will play within that. It's almost nailed on. He's going to be fucking fantastic for us. It just is. He's, he's a signing that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Coming from a club we don't like, helping them out with an FFP problem, coming off a down season and at a very big fee. So I understand where the concerns and frustrations come from. I don't want to suggest that this is a can't miss. There just aren't really can't miss transfers, period. I like the versatility. I like the, I mean, people are so sick of hearing left eight, but I like that role. I like him being able to play the Odegaard role if he's not available. I like him as another option up front. I like him as an option on the right. I think in our 4-4-2 low block, I think he will stand next to Jesus and Odegaard will drop in, which gives us more of a target man, a really elite ball recoverer. I, I, I think it's an interesting move. Like, there's a lot of good here. Paul? Yeah, so, like, the other thing that comes up is, and I get it, like, hey, you can play second striker, we could change our formation and stuff. And, like, we may see some of those influences in how he actually does his role, but, like, in many ways, for this for this way we play and the way teams like that play, the two most important positions on the pitch, uh, debatably, are the two half spaces. Um. Like the most dangerous spot in the pitch is zone 14, that bit just in front of the penalty box. But the opposition knows that's the most dangerous spot on the pitch. So they put two, three hefty fellas standing in the middle so that you basically can't play in that area. The only time you get to play in that area is when you dominate the two half spaces, the between the line spots that you see your Odegaards and where I, where, uh, Xhaka plays for us where your Gundogans, your your um uh uh Kevin De Bruyne is like that's why that's how they work their magic at, but more importantly that's where they work their magic. And when we had a a ten, when people played with a ten in a four two three one, which they've kind of gone away from, and we had uh Ozil playing for us, and you draw him up in the middle of the pitch uh when you put up your lineup. He never played in the middle. He played on the left side or the right side near the attacking winger or whoever in support on that side, and he'd stand in the half space on one side. The most important spots on the pitch are the half spaces. And I ask you, we're signing Havertz. Who's going to stand in the left half space? We're he not going to have he a guy. Yeah, we're is. not going to have is. a guy who's not stand there. No, he is. I, th I, yeah. I think if you're going to spend this much, he has to stand there. Just to be clear on, on the point I made bef before that, though, is that when we're out of possession, we drop into a 4-4-2 block off the ball. Yeah, yeah. And it has I been Odegaard you. standing next to Jesus. I think it would be Havertz standing next yeah. to Jesus, which is an interesting tweak on that class. Yeah. And in possession, we play a 3-2-5. Somebody's got to be standing in that left half space. It's, be it's mostly going to be him. We'll Guy do some rotation. He's just... Yeah. So, so, and we're spending 65 million. Seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then the defensive part of it, he's an absolutely top-notch presser who, uh, like, that's what we do. We're going to push up with our centre-backs. We might have three guys in the back line to give us a bit of a shield, two in midfield when Zinchenko or whoever pulls in, and they're all going to push forward and be very pressing, be very proactive, and the toothpaste gets pushed a little further up the pitch. Our line moves a little further up the pitch. And, like, Jacques is actually pretty good on the pressing, but he's not Havertz, right? Havertz yeah. is top level, loves a turnover, loves to be all over your, open your grill, as you Americans say, grab the ball, and we're off to the races, counterattacking, yeah, scoring another goal. That's, that's basically how it's going to work. Yep, Clive. <laughs> I think, uh, as Paul was saying, um, I, 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 I had to put my hand up when he said the most important space is a half space. I think the most important space is a space you can manipulate via your build-up. I think the most important thing for his mm. Arsenal team is to have a strong build-up structure. Have players who can build the team up. When we lost our build-up towards the end of last season, we lost one of our key players, we lost our team. When we have our build-up, we have intelligent players that can stand between people, call that space whatever you like, stand between people and manipulate the ball skillfully to progress us into dangerous areas to create high-quality chances. I think the half space is all, is all part of it. But I don't want to limit my thought process to just that. It's all about your ability to build up. And if you look at the players that we are looking at, they've got the ability to either start the build up or receive the ball in building in high areas. Receiving of the ball is key. All our favorite players can bring it in, move it, flip it around the corner, create, carry, but receiving it. And probably, and it's not a criticism of him, but the one player that was probably not a natural receiving it high up in the pitch with his back to goal was the player we're about to sell in Granit Xhaka. And though he did a great job, it wasn't natural. What is more natural for him is second ball defending, being there on the first pass on when we regain the ball to allow us to create two, three passes, get us into attacking shape going forward and then build up. And we're going to miss that about him. His ability to be closer to the man that's retrieved the ball to create the first pass to then allow us to build. I think that's something that I'm watching. It's not just about pressing, it's about your ability to read the drop, to re-stress defensively and to be available to show your receiving skills. That's the bit I haven't seen any YouTube clip or anything yet for you to get overexcited because the month, the games where Shaka doesn't play, we don't control. We don't control momentum in the same way because he's not there to help us relieve the pressure to maintain attacks. And I think that's the bit I'm waiting for. Now, Declan Rice potentially could solve that by just winning it and driving out and creating new offensive pictures with his carrying skills. He's a better carrier than Thomas Pike. Thomas Pike is a creative passer, disguised passer, that allows us to link forward. Interesting to see how we deal with this. Really interesting. But this is the fun, right? And keeping your minds open... What if we come back with a whole new couple of new ways of playing or added on top of how we play today? Because I would. I'd come back this season and say, right, we're going to add another layer, another way of playing to how we play today. And this is what we're going to look like. There are some principles that we're just going to stay there, but they're going to be something that we haven't seen. If we sat here a year ago, we wouldn't have been talking about inverted fullbacks. We, just, we weren't. None of us mentioned it. Now we're no. going to buy another one potentially. We've got two. So things can change very, very quickly. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well said. Let's stay. Uh, well, so my, my my final point on this is that, like, 
I, the problem with discussing transfers, every transfer looks amazing if the player is great, and every transfer looks bad if the player is bad. Samby seemed like a really savvy purchase, right? Not expensive, captain of his club, national team player at a young age, in a position where we needed it. Wasn't a good transfer. And we're going to struggle to make our money back on him. Right? I mean, it, it it's just one of those things that transfers look good or bad depending on how the player plays. So And how he develops as well, Elliot. You know? Well, sure. We we've got two in him and Vieira and and let's talk him, Vieira Smith Rowe. They're not in a good place development wise yet. But they're not at their peak. Neither of them are. And they could develop, they could speed their development, or they could top out. But I think that development angle is, is a really hard one to read. I'm just, I was literally just watching a Sambi video, actually. <laughs> Funny enough, you mentioned his name. And he looked really good in it, playing against Liverpool. Looked really good. Changing manager, development stops. One to watch there. I'm not, I'm not, let's see how he develops. He's 21, 22, right? Let's see how he develops. He's had a year in, he's had a year or two now. So let's see how he goes. It's, it's, those three players interest me because I don't know what they are at the moment. And how they develop for us, as they're our assets, right? How they develop for us is going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, Clive, let me stay with you just for a second then, because there's there's another one on the horizon, and that's uh, Jurian Timber. Jurian? Jurian Timber? Jurian? Jurian Timber? I don't know. Um, we scouted him, and he's not a center back. I'm just going to say that. He may be the right center back in a three, he inverts. If you look at his heat map, he spends a lot of time in the half space right up around the halfway line. He's 99th percentile in all the on-the-ball stuff, right? So passing, pass completion percentage, progressive passing, progressive passes received. He's that guy. He's Lissandro Martinez, Mark II, basically, for me. You know, not super tall at about five foot ten. although to me, that's a beautiful height, and I think anybody who's five foot ten should proudly consider themselves tall. Um, he... He's coming from the club that Lissandro Martinez played for. Height-wise, position-wise, if you look at their FB ref green bars from the era, their last Eredivisie seasons, on all the passing stats, they look, I mean, they look identical. Um, I like this move a lot. I think this move makes sense in a lot of positions. It certainly calls into question some of the players that are at the club and where their future lies and how we might be shifting that, that playing style, as you mentioned. So, I think on talent, we agree. He's he's a good choice. Does it leave some interesting questions to be answered of how we see ourselves setting up next season? Yeah, I think uh, we have some listeners from that part of the world that watch him um, closely, and they are, they're they're positive on him. Ajax have not had a good mm-hmm. season. He stayed an extra season to support, not go to support the club and not go as he could have done last summer, which probably ended up being Manchester United. I, again, I think it's been interesting him in quite a while. So I don't think this is a surprise. Again, prep work's been done. What, when we scouted him in it, what I really noticed was wherever he picked up the ball, and by the way, it was all over the pitch, he looked okay there. So if he picked up the ball left wing, he could beat you. If he picked it up on the right side, deep, he could progress the ball. If he's playing centre-back, he's got different shapes to pass the ball, or he can run out with it. If he's in centre-mid, he tackles like a Kaiseido, he smashes people, you know? Um... And he can when he goes into the box and he drives out of his hole and he goes towards the last third, he slows down, he pays the pass, he's really, really good. I thought, hey, you're a good footballer. You can do any you can do quite a lot. You're quick enough. Aerial ability is not strong. 
which makes me think, you know, would I put him in a centre-back for Arsenal? Mm, I wouldn't do that. I'd play him as a, a, as a right-sided defender in a three or four and make him be the fourth defender and make him push on or push in. That, that's what I would do, but let's see him in the shorts, right, before you, before you can say so. But interesting talent, versatility. Versatility gives you depth, gives you optionality in game states, and that's the thing for us this year because... The biggest worry I have for us is expectations, how we manage that, because we're not having this one trophy thing. We're going to do one thing, go for the league, and we don't mind being kicked out of Europe. That's not going to work anymore. People are expecting us to be first or second in the league and have a good tilt at all the cups. <laughs> so that means we better open our minds up to rotation. We better open our minds up to depth. And, uh, and I think it's going to be a challenge for us. We have to mature our thinking to, to being a top, three top four club in the league and we could be that for consist consistently for a few years if we do things properly that's going to be a challenge for us Eddie. particularly when we're doing lineup discussions next year I think we're going to have a lot of those debates <laughs> which I know you love those yeah yeah and and I think it's funny because when we scouted Tomiyasu I was lower on him and that looked pretty bad. He had a great first season fitness I think has been a concern unfortunately and and I really feel bad for Tomiyasu in that respect the reason I was lower on him is that we were looking at him as a potential fullback, and I just felt on the ball he could have been a little better. He just didn't. I I didn't see someone who was that great on the ball. Obviously, a lockdown defender, and so it was easy to see the skills that were there. I think Timber can do what Otomiyasu can't on the ball. I think he can come in and invert and stand next to a rice, hopefully, and give us a phenomenal base. Right, and and then you can go with Havertz and Odegaard in the half spaces because you have that base. Um, I think White can do that. Zinchenko can clearly do that. <clears throat> I think we want players that can do that, and that's what we're building towards. And if you get a Timber, I think you have an interesting cluster of bigger ball-playing defenders across the board in Zinchenko and Timber and White and Kivior and Saliba and Magalhaes. And and Tomiyasu. And maybe Tomiyasu slips down the pecking order a little bit, but frankly, we can't we don't know when he's going to be available and we can't quite count on him at this moment anyway. So, you know, that's all going to take some time. Um Paul, I, I like the move. And I, you know, you know my thing. I hate buying backups. I freaking hated the Cedric move. And I hated the Pablo Marie move. I hate these moves. I hate these guys you buy to be backups. I like these guys you buy who if it all goes right, they can be the guy. You might say, well, what about Kivior? I think Kivior in his mind thinks I can win a left back spot. I can do what Zinchenko does, but be strong. Or I can I can push for my place somewhere here. Now, granted, he's behind two very talented center backs, so maybe he's not going to get there. Jurian Timber's not coming here to stay behind Ben White or to stay behind Zinchenko or whoever it is. He's going to think he can play. Now, there's enough minutes to go around, but what I mean is I want to buy players that I believe could go into our starting 11 and make a case for being in that starting 11. Now, I get that you can't always do that. Sometimes, somewhere, you got to have depth. In my mind, depth should be coming from that next academy player who's pushing, right? Or that aging out player. Ideally, right, you'd keep a, a Shaka for his leadership, and he sort of recedes into more of a squad player role the way like a Milner has at Liverpool, or maybe a Henderson is at Liverpool, whatever the case may be. Shaka doesn't want to do that. Right, we always said Shaka doesn't want to do that. Shaka clearly doesn't want to do that. 
So I love well, a timber I, sign. Like yeah. the complication with Xhaka is Switzerland in the Euros and World Cups. He like he wants to be he's that not player yeah, for them. He's not ready. Yeah. Yeah. But but so I guess what I'm saying yeah. is these are the signings that really get me <laughs> fired up because similar to a Trossard, you could say Trossard was bought to be depth. I don't think Trossard sees it that way. Trossard saw yeah. that he had a chance to make a spot his own. And, the, and when you sign these players like a Trossard, like a Timber, what you're doing is you're building a base layer of talent behind your established first 11, all of whom feel that if things go their way, they could be the starter. And, and it just, it makes you stronger. I think it in, enhances the way you can play. I really like this move. Um, you know, when we yeah. did scout him and I, I think he looks good. Yeah, look, I haven't really watched any tape of him, so I've only, I, and I know there's no tape anymore. The, the um, defensive side, I think there's a debate to be yeah. had there, but we know that the areas of the pitch he's going to be asked to play, you know? And yeah. he has a berth. And Yeah, and like, we're going to be, build in a 3-2-5 or a 2-3-5, depending on uh, how the opposition shapes up to press our back line and how you get to who's the two in midfield or... Uh, the three in the back line can be done in a variety of different ways. We've got limitations in that Zinchenko's great, but not always available um, and not as defensive and physical as we may need from time to time to have other options, to have a solution for when you don't have Saliba available or when you maybe want to skip a game or two with him because he's available, but you just like, there's the red line, there's the orange line in terms of fitness and to be able to pull Ben White into the center back spot. So you're basically maintaining that way of playing and that level. Uh, it gives us all kinds of our favorite word optionality on here. And uh, the one insight I can bring with uh, Jurian Timber is the fact that Ajax, we pronounce that as that soft J like a Y. I think it's probably Jurian Timber. Jurian Timber. Okay. Yeah. 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 But just a guess here, and uh, apparently has some kind of twin brother. I'm disappointed that his name isn't Justin Timber, but it's not. It's uh, it's something else, um, something like Darian or something Darren or something like that. Um, I think if I'm that young fella, uh, I think I got all sorts of opportunities to play for Arsenal in all sorts of different configurations and ways of playing. And yet you could still say the clarity with how we play on the pitch doesn't change, doesn't go away. Uh, just because <clears throat> we, we, it's like, who do you steal from your back line or your fullbacks to step into midfield and to be that free player, second pivot floating in and out as the game flows forward and back and there are different ways of doing it. And this guy sounds like a great option to step in there and provide one of those and give us the chance to move Ben White to right center back when we need to, et cetera, et cetera. So makes lots of sense to me. Um, it, it's quite a fee, but then he's been a star, a little bit of a star for Ajax for a while, and they don't sell cheap. They never need to sell. They got all that money in the bank. Don't know how they do it. They're in a in interesting niche there, but like they, they really didn't want to sell Anthony until it got to such stupid numbers that the number was stupid. Um, like he's been so terrible at that money for United. I can't believe they weren't willing to sell him for 5 million less than that. He's been absolutely abysmal. And yet that's where Ajax are. They've, they've got a number of talented players. They're very slow, reluctant sellers. 
even if we can see no reason why they wouldn't sell these players earlier. Uh, they don't they don't sell them cheap, but you do get you do know that the guys have been trained in the total football, the positional play. So again, there's clarity in terms of who you're getting for yeah. f- from the Arsenal footballing side as to how they should map to how we play. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it is it is the case that if you take a step back from whatever the latest tweet that sent all of us losing our minds about Teclan Rice, the way we are approaching this summer is really impressive. Rice. Havertz, Timber. Like, if you said to me, I think we even talked about this. What do we need to do this summer? We're like, we need a star central midfielder. We need to add to the attack someone who can play a few roles, but maybe addresses that left eight. And we need another defender, versatile defender. And we're in for three of them in all three of those positions at a level that's a lot more elite than we're usually in for. I think it, I think it looks really encouraging. Now we have to get all of it over the line. None of it's been done yet. So we'll see what happens. And so there's some outgoings. Thomas Party may be heading to Saudi Arabia if he wants to take $100 million tax-free. That'll be an interesting one. I think we can expand on as we get a few more details on it. I think pushing 90 minutes for Friday seems like enough, and we'll probably have seven Patreon pods this weekend, one for every Ornstein bomb that comes <laughs> uh, over the next 24 hours. So let's leave it there. Clive is going to be heading off on a holiday, so you will not be hearing for Clive for about a week. Um, which I realize has sent our, our listenership numbers uh, plunging you. like the stock market in 1929, but please stick with us. We will still endeavor to have an interesting conversation in his absence. Enjoy your time away, my friend. You have certainly earned it, and I look forward to speaking to you when you get back. Thank you, and thank you very much. I'm, I'm looking forward. I will be tracking stuff on Twitter. It's like I've never been away. <laughs> you know what we'll do? We'll get Arsenal Twitter to start tracking your plane, just so you can feel like a big big signing. We'll get your plane. We'll get the flight radar out. We'll track your location. But uh, it'll be a fun. Have a good time. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Let's do this. Yeah, no, you you got to go back to woohoo, dude. Like I can't. <laughs> I can't with that. I can't. Not to it's mention funny. that there's probably, probably a copy. I don't know why thing. it's funny, but it's funny. Yeah, but but you're stolen it. <laughs> That's like you oh, he got bar, it from bar. somebody. He he got it from some Latin sounding fella who said, "Let's do this." To be fair, people have been saying, "Let's do this" for a long time. So I guess it's probably not copyrighted. But we'll debate that on a future pod. Hope you enjoyed this one. We love you very much. Uh, we hope to talk to you in the near future. We will have information. I know we're, we're late coming out with information about the uh, Los Angeles stuff, but that'll be coming out soon. And uh, as I said, with the next Orn Bomb, we'll put out 35 more podcasts. Don't worry. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal's hand transfer. No, no. 